Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com. Spoken here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, presented to you exclusively by Podcast Heat and Ad Free Shows. I, of course, am John Alba, joined as I am every single week by the man of the hour, the woke and the spoken and broken one himself, Mr. Matt Hardy. Matt, what's cooking, my man? What's the word, John? What is the good word of the week? Um, the good word, Matt Hardy, is that we got a new sponsor this week, baby. And we are going oh, hell hard. Yeah. We are going hard. You know, you live an extreme life, Matt Hardy. But word tells me that you think that it's important to keep things extremely clean down there. And that's because Manscaped is hooking you up here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Of course, I'm talking about the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision engineered for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer that we are giving to you right here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Hardy at Manscaped.com. Now, Matt, I'm not great at math. I've told you this. Mm -hmm. But if there's 4 million guys using it and they're shaving their two family jewels, that's 8 million shaven testicles here and i'm not talking about andrew martin <laughs> that's a that's a very strong number and i gotta tell you there is nothing better than manscaping to delete 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 that unwanted hair speaking from experience speaking from experience of course i'm telling you guys we're so grateful for manscaped uh i recently picked up the new performance package 4.0 and, and this is a shoot here it <laughs> comes with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer the yes. Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer. You're not even going to need Senior Benjamin, Matt no, Hardy. Eat your heart out, Senior Benjamin. Your Weed Whacker has nothing on them. Eat your heart out, Itch Weed. Your Weed Whacker has nothing on them. They can weed eat like a mother... Whoop! Itch Weed. <laughs> they got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold all your goodies. This trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, Matt, is the future of grooming and, dare I say, the greatest ball trimmer ever and i like to call it the more of lawn trimmer yes the mower <laughs> of lawn 4.0 oh, 
Is that how it works? I don't know. Yeah. Something like that. I'm four point. Oh! Uh, <laughs> how does Rebby Hardy feel about Manscaped, Matt Hardy? Uh, she 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 works very well with it, and she uh, I enjoy it. She's an artist. She does her art on me, and uh, I come out looking better than ever. And that's the thing, guys. You can use your lady friend, your significant other, whoever it may be, to help you out here. Manscaped has got you hooked up with technological advances that we have yet to see. Waterproof, proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs. You might like to get tugged down a ladder, but you don't want to tug yourself down there. Trust me. And I got to tell you, whenever, considering it's waterproof, whenever you dip into that water and you go to work, it's like you come out and like you've emerged from the lake of reincarnation. You're a totally different individual. You look clean and smooth. Your balls will be reincarnated if you just want to get hooked up with Manscaped. 20% off and free shipping with code HARDY at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use code HARDY, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. It will be absolutely delightful. Wonderful. I love it. That is not us whoring ourselves out, guys. That is the good word. I promise you that. Uh, I wasn't even expecting to do that right at the top, but we are so grateful for Manscaped helping us out here on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy this week because we had a very fun episode last week talking about Too Cool and King of the Ring 2000. But Matt, this week is an episode that I am very, very excited for. What are we going to be covering this week, my friend? We are going to be covering the very special ladder match that took place between my brother, the charismatic enigma, brother Nero, Jeff Hardy, and The Undertaker. I wanted to talk about this with you because, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast in January, your career is very much intertwined with Jeff, and his career is very much intertwined with yours. Anything that happened to him directly affected you, and anything that happened to you directly affected him for the most part. Yes. So your perspective on this will be great. We touched on it a little bit in our V1 episode, which is available in our archives, of course. But we're going to have a really fun time talking about it this week. Exactly. We're also going to have a fun time because if you leave us a certain star number review. How I would say uh, five, cinco, five, cinco, five star review. If you leave that review for us right now, send it to us at Matt Hardy Pod, at Matt Hardy Grant, at Don Alba. This week, Instantly. I'm going bu- to buy someone a shirt, Matt Hardy. Maybe it's a... Maybe it's a Matt Fact, Matt Fiction shirt. No, I, I think that is a Matt Fact, not Matt Fiction. Maybe it's a Spoken Matt Hardy t-shirt. Maybe it's a Let It All Play Out t-shirt. Let it all play out, baby. Maybe it's an Extreme Life of Matt Hardy t-shirt. There's a lot of good ones that you can get your hands on now. Boxofgimmicks.com, search the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy. But if you just leave us that review, I'm going to pick one this week. Whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a YouTube comment, and I'm going to buy you a shirt, okay? Just on me. I'm, I'm Outstanding. Little Money John's got you covered here. So make sure you send that to us, and I'm going to pick a winner next week on air right here. If you did it once already, leave another. Who cares? We'll take it. <laughs> like I said, we're not above being bought here, guys. I promise mm-hmm. you that. So, Matt Hardy, before we get into our conversation about Jeff Hardy, I think that we would be remiss if we did not discuss a few things that happened this week in professional wrestling, including the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. What a show. Holy shit, what a show. And we talked about it last week. We weren't really sure 
what the reaction to the show was going to be. Right. T- TV viewership was down a couple weeks ago. But man, they came back with what I thought was one of the strongest top to bottom pro wrestling shows in ring action wise that I've ever seen on American television. I mean, it was it was magnificent. And uh, I, it really gives me a great feeling going forward with doing more of the four. Uh, forbidden door format and those pay-per-views where there's crossovers where AEW and new Japan pro wrestling work hand in hand. Uh, I, I think we're on to something there. And, and I really feel like it was so uh, it was received with so much love. Uh, I, I think we're on to something. What was your favorite match from the show? I'll be honest. There, there were a couple matches I really liked, but the match that really stood out to me as being my favorite was the orange Cassidy Willow spray match. I know what we I talked about match. last week. We yeah. talked about here. I said, they're going to steal the show. And yeah. Okay, let's pick your brain for a bit, because I think this podcast is at its best when you are uh, bestowing your wisdom, your broken brilliance on everybody. What makes Orange Cassidy such a special performer? Uh, Orange is so dedicated to his character, and and it's one of those things. He's never on a mainstream platform uh, in in the large uh, scheme of things. He has never really broke character. So, so people really buy into what he's doing and, and that works. And we have to drag that out and let him run with that as long as we can. And people enjoy his character. It's super entertaining. It's super different. It's super unique. And on top of Arch Cassidy being so committed to the character and being so good at the gimmick, he's also a hell of a worker. You know, but considering he plays that gimmick of Orange Cassidy, the guy who doesn't really try, he really doesn't have to work. He doesn't have to bust his ass and work his ass off. But if the scenario is right and if he needs to, he certainly can. He can go with the absolute best of them. So I thought that's what was so unique about this because you get, you got to see Orange Cassidy come out and, and show how great of an in-ring performer he is. That's the beauty. That is that is the secret sauce of the Orange Cassidy match when you push him to that limit and he has to care. Yeah. He has to care. He shows, I think he's one of the top five most underrated wrestlers in the world, like straight up. He, he's absolutely way up there. And, and it's one of those things like when I first did Broken Matt Hardy and I went – on TNA television and and people weren't sure like, Oh my God, is he had a mental breakdown? Is he gone crazy? Is he on drugs? What's he doing? But you know, I was so committed to the gig. Every interview I did, like if I did, I remember I had to do an interview with wrestling observer with Dave Meltzer and they said, okay, well, it's going to be a pretty long form interview. I said, well, if I'm doing it, it's going to be in gimmick. It's going to be in character because I'm dedicated and committed to the gig. And that's what got it over so huge. You know, after people see you come out of that and realize you're like playing that character, it's not as effective. And that's one of the beauty. That's one of the most beautiful things about Orange Cassidy is he's never came out of the gimmick publicly. So people are still committed to his gig. Broken Matt and the Squeezer of Citrus is a tag team that I would love to see one day. Yes. So maybe I, I, I would enjoy that. That would be very fun. <laughs> they, there are two characters that are built for one another. They are kindred spirits, if you will. Hell of a pay-per-view. Absolutely loved Forbidden Door. Go check it out. I really hope next year we get it again. And I hope it's main evented by Kenny Omega and Okada. I I think that's the biggest possible match that can be done. And I hope we get to see it on American soil. And uh, I got to shout out FTR, too. Also winning the New Japan's tag titles. Like uh, Those guys are killing it. They've been white hot. And I know we've talked about this and addressed it. But they are in a very special place now as a tag team. And I love seeing them bring so much... uh, respect and and honor and integrity to the tag team division i thought that tag match rocked i loved the opening tag team match Mm -hmm. with your boy chris jericho who i thought made shoda look like a freaking superstar in that match yeah he was very giving so go check that out and exactly what he's doing he's very smart and i mean obviously he 
that's why he's Chris Jericho, but he's brilliant in the things he does. And he, he had to put on a brilliant performance at Forbidden Door. There was a moment in that match that was just the essence of his character, the little nuances of the storytelling playing out where he's been begging for adulation and appreciation from these AEW crowds. He tags Minoru Suzuki in to face off with Eddie Kingston. And the crowd is going nuts because they want to see Eddie Kingston, Minoru Suzuki. But Chris Jericho, being that cocky SOB that he is, turns around and starts blowing kisses to the crowd because he believes deep down in his heart they are cheering for him and they are appreciating him for tagging Minoru Suzuki, not the fact that Minoru Suzuki is tagged in. That was a tremendous small detail in character and any wrestler who wants to learn more about character minutia, you should absolutely go watch stuff like that. I mean, Chris just wants everyone to join the Jericho Appreciation Society. You appreciate Chris Jericho. I do. I have a great appreciation for him. You might have a spot there. Uh, Really great stuff. Really great stuff. And we saw a different side of Matt Hardy this week on Being the Elite. Anything you'd like to add on that? Um, No, I mean, it was very, uh, very heartfelt. It was kind of based in a lot of reality. And then, uh, you know, I tried to toe the line a little bit on it. But I had some different ideas about a new direction. Obviously, with Jeff being gone for who knows how long, uh, I'm going to be here on my own. So uh, I would like to go in a new direction start a new version of Matt Hardy and and build it off of the real life scenario, which there's a lot of things that are, I'm very upset and disappointed about, you know, that we didn't have this run that I really wanted to have. And uh, the take I tried to put on about by saying, maybe it was on me because I'm the one so obsessed with cementing our legacy. Like maybe I'm here and I'm all in for it, but maybe Jeff isn't, maybe it's my fault for bringing Jeff back into this. Maybe he's not as committed as I am to becoming uh, one of the greatest tag teams ever, or really trying to cement that legacy. Maybe maybe he's kind of done. Maybe he's checked out. So I, I think there's a lot of different interesting directions I can go from this. It was definitely, I, I thought the passion was there. I, I was a little taken back by it, honestly, watching it. I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought it was interesting. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen. And I guess I'll just have to let it all play out at the end of the day. You know, I, I figure a lot of people are going to watch that and they think I'm going to go on and I'm going to complain uh, about Jeff, you know, or be upset with Jeff or disappointed with Jeff. And I tried to steer completely in a different direction. And that was my whole mindset behind this, because, like, w- once again, uh, we live in life. And, and as I've said the last couple of weeks here, I mean, at the end of the day, I just want my brother to be OK. I want to be healthy. If he never wrestles again, that, that's fine. I just want him to be very healthy. And I want him to be able to take care of his family, his wife and his, his daughters. So uh, th- that is my that is my main concern in the big scheme of things. Wrestling is something, a conversation that comes after he gets to that place. So for me to take this take, uh, for me to take this uh, direction and, and this take on the whole story and the way things are going, where maybe I'm even blaming myself a little bit for some of this, I, I think it could lead to some interesting things, maybe even a conflicted Matt Hardy. I appreciate it, and I'm curious to see how it all unfolds. Two more quick things for you. Claudio coming into AEW. What do you think about that? Uh, he's a great asset. Uh, if he's working for any company, he is a great asset. He's one of those guys, too. I worked with him a lot, obviously, when we returned to WWE and we had the, the Hardys versus the bar program. Uh, he's a guy who really gets it. But besides just being a, a great technical wrestler and, and scientific wrestler, and you know he has great strikes and very creative and very unique in the way he does things. And on top of that, he speaks so many different languages. It's insane, but he also would get how to work with broken Matt or, or woken Matt. You know, he, he, he got the whole gig and he gets how to work with 
different characters as well. So, so I think he truly does have the the complete package, and I'm very excited to see him at AEW. I think he's going to really enjoy his time here, and I think he'll probably get the greatest utilization he's had in a very long time here at AEW. The Blackpool Combat Club is one of the coolest stables yeah. in wrestling these days, so for I'm sure. very excited to see what that creates for him opportunity-wise. He's got blood and guts as we tape this. It's going to be a cool little thing. And then uh, last thing, 20 years of John Cena. We saw a bunch of AEW stars pop up on Raw, wishing John Cena congratulations. Right. Anything you'd like to say about John to John? Uh, I mean, John, John is a, a credit to busting your ass, working hard, and, and being committed to your company. I can say that. I mean, John Cena was obviously a, a difference maker. He was a needle mover. He was someone who would evoke emotion from people. He's one of the first guys that you really think about in, in modern day pro wrestling that really got that incredibly polarizing reaction, which is much more of a common thing nowadays. You know, but he was kind of the, the trendsetter in that. We, we, we saw a little bit of it with Hulk Hogan, but that's before people weren't quite smart enough to pick up on what was going on. With Cena, they were. There was enough information out there and people knew enough about pro wrestling that they could be very peculiar and picky with John Cena. So uh, I got nothing but great things to say about John. Uh, I got to work with him a whole lot. We actually teamed a whole lot right when he first started. Uh, and we traveled together some too. So lots of love for John Cena, man. I have heard some years. legendary travel stories about John Cena that maybe one day we'll have to share here <laughs> on this podcast because I've heard he was not above or below anything in some circumstances. So I, I look forward to hearing about some of those. Very cool stuff, Matt Hardy. We are approaching the 20-year anniversary of Jeff Hardy facing The Undertaker on Raw in a ladder match July 1st, 2002. That's what we're covering this week. Hit us with that Matt fact. Matt fact, Matt believes summer is superior to winter. Why is that? You had your big mega party this past weekend. You were feeling it out there? I, I will take the heat any day okay. over the snow or the freezing weather. I, I really do. Like, I, I'm just happier during spring and summer, even in the fall. It's just the winter is very depressing. It gets dark yeah. early. And I was thinking about today. It's like, this is so nice. I don't have to take a jacket everywhere. I'm coming to Detroit. Where typically, if you were here during the winter, you'd have to have two or three jackets. It would be so, 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 so cold, so freezing. But just to be here during the summer, it's just so nice. It's so beautiful. And I love being able to go outside with just shorts on and not have to wear clothes and get a tan. Summer, summer is it for me. You know, winter is not. Well, Matt Hardy has taken the heat. He's used to taking the heat. He's a heat magnet, you might Give even the, say. I want the heat. Give me the heat. <laughs> well... Let's talk about a guy who didn't have a whole lot of heat over his time in WWE locker rooms, and that is The Undertaker. <laughs> Comes in the early 90s. You guys enter around 94 or so for the first time, working your matches with the Italian Stallion bringing you up. What do you remember your first interaction with The Undertaker being? Huh. I just remember the first time we were there to work and, and do extra work, which was in May of 1994. I remember it was a, a, a rainy day, and I remember him walking in, with this big trench coat on, he had the big headband on, the shades, and a big, intimidating, badass dude. And and that's kind of obviously he I, I remember him as mean Mark. And we were very excited when he showed up doing this new character, this Undertaker thing. And like we recognized him immediately, like, oh my God, this is mean Mark from NWA, WCW. You know, now he's at WWE and he's the Undertaker. He's a dead man. This is intriguing. This is interesting. Uh, but whenever he first walked in, I was like, holy shit, like what a cool badass dude. That that was my first impression of Undertaker. Was he attentive to guys who were lower on the pay scale, if you will? 
Uh, as far as when I was there as as an extra, I mean, yeah. you know, I seemed, yeah, he, he seemed friendly. If you would, uh, you know, run into him or see him, he, he was fine, you know. But he was obviously in top programs pretty much from you know the very beginning of his career in WWE. So he was always busy doing stuff too. So just didn't didn't really interact with him a lot when we were there doing extra work. That's understandable. You guys get to work with him a little bit over the years once you guys sign on officially full-time. He does a little babyface run, 2000, once he comes back as the American Badass. I think the American Badass is one of the greatest character reinventions of all time. You're a master of reinvention. What did you think of that when he came back and totally changed himself? Uh, I I thought it was great, and I I thought it was – an appropriate time you know he really did as much as he could well, with the undertaker and he needed to like give it a break so he could bring it back again and i thought the american badass was uh the perfect character for him because that's pretty much him in real life you know he, he's a guy who is is a biker he kind of like had lived that lifestyle earlier on and he was all into that and and as far as being an american badass it pretty much summed up who he was like in real life in many many ways and uh I, i'm gonna go back just one second john there is one time specifically that I do remember interacting with Undertaker a lot when we were doing extra work. Do you remember when there was the Undertaker around when Brian Lee? 1994, SummerSlam Summer 1994. I actually, uh, I, I worked the Undertaker. That's what like people affectionately called him back in the locker room then. I actually had a match with the Undertaker on a Superstars or Challenge, whatever it was. And uh, dur- during this match, as we were putting the other, like Undertaker was sitting there and he was kind of like the producer for it or the coach. And he's like, no, he said, make sure, you know, you do the, the way you bring your hand and the way you do your hand across your throat and just the way we do the moves. He was very... Uh, very on top of him as far as coaching and and he wanted me to sell a very specific way. He was very invested in this angle, obviously, because they were trying to make a big deal out of it. So I did get to interact with him a lot in that day. And I remember he was uh, very happy with the the job, literally the job that I did for the Undertaker that night. Yeah, that's not, that's not one of the better SummerSlam main events, (laughs) Undertaker versus the Undertaker. But I'm glad that you got an opportunity to be part of that and cement your legacy. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender, savewithconrad.com. In that. So 2002 rolls around. He just turned heel. He created the big evil iteration of the American badass, shaved his head in the back and had just short buzz cut. I thought it was a cool presentation for him as a heel, especially. And you guys have a little program with him at the beginning of 02 leading into the Royal Rumble. People remember Matt Maven famously drop kicking the Undertaker out of the ring, but that only happened because of the Hardy Boys screwing around with The Undertaker in the Royal Rumble match. What do you right. recall about that monstrous moment, that huge pop that Maven got for kicking out The Undertaker? I mean, what a great moment for Maven. I'll, I'll never forget when Maven was told. 
he was going to do that. And we were like going, talking about the the spot originally. Like, man, was like, I'm, I'm doing what? And he like, he almost didn't want to do it at first. He's like, hold up, this is, this, I don't want to do this. Like, people are going to hate this. Like, am I going to, is the entertainer going to be mad at me that I'm eliminating him, whatever it may be? He was, he was just very uncomfortable about it at first because it's like a big deal. You're there and, you know, you just win this game show tough enough to become a wrestler with WWE. And you're just kind of like, earning your way up through the ranks and then eliminate the undertaker from the Royal rumble. It was a big moment. It was really cool looking back at it in, in hindsight. It was cool to be part of it. Huge pop, huge, huge pop. And the Hardy boys can be thanked for helping that mm-hmm. happen. Of course, Maven did pay for it immediately after that. He got absolutely mutilated by the undertaker. So what goes around comes around kid, but that fast forwards us to late May, early June. Of 2002. Mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit on our V1 episode, but Jeff starts to get some singles opportunities at that time. He's working intercontinental championship matches on TV and some house shows with Eddie Guerrero. Yeah. Why do you think at that point the company felt that Jeff was worth a look as a singles guy? They were very unsure of what they were going to do with us. They didn't know if have, have we teamed as long as we can team. Is it time to split and maybe go our own directions, whatever it may be? And, and I think... I was up for it at that time because I know Jeff was also going through a lot of changes in his life on his own. And he kind of wasn't as invested in wrestling. He was a little burnout, which I feel like that happens to Jeff every so often. He kind of gets burnout because he's at the end of the day, he's like an artist. Like I think he loves pro wrestling, but he doesn't love pro wrestling like myself or some of the other guys do. He also, if he gets too much of it, he can get burnout. But I remember being up for an opportunity. If I could, you know, be a singles competitor, do whatever. I, I remember I'd work super hard to get into the best shape I possibly could. Uh, and I was all super motivated and, and ready to rock and roll where Jeff on the other hand was kind of like, ah, oh, you know, it's wrestling. I really want to be playing music. I want to be writing music. I want to be performing as a rock star. His heart just wasn't in wrestling as much as mine was then. So th- that was a, a, a little bit of a unique take on everything considering they were the, you know, they had decided to kind of get behind Jeff and, and try and push Jeff as a singles and, and see what would stick. Well, what's also happening around that time is Jeff is considering some other options outside of wrestling. In a 2015 interview, he talked about there being an idea for you and him to have a short angle with The Undertaker, which would end up with Taker beating him into oblivion, and then he was going to take some time off to record an album. But then something happens. That is, that was 100% 100 the plan, too. I remember when we talked about that, how he said he was a little burnt out, and they were going to literally, he was going to take off house shows and just come do TVs for a little while. Well, he men- he mentions this, and I never really thought about this being a catalyst for all of these crazy things happening in 2002 until I saw Jeff talk about this, and now it makes total sense. He says, by when Stone Cold Steve Austin walked out, they realized that Raw needed any amount of star power they could get, so I was told I would stay on TV. He also mentioned that he wanted to lift the classic Undertaker gimmick with the purple cloak and the scary music, and he wanted to run out and steal his motorcycle. We're going to get to Austin in a second, but I had never heard that about him wanting to hijack some of the Undertaker's gimmicks here for a potential feud. What do you remember, remember about that? Uh, I remember Taker shot that down pretty quickly. I, I do remember that Jeff pitched that. Jeff said, you know, what if I could like come out in the old Undertaker hat and cat, we come out like the entrance and I get down and do the pose, you know, while Taker's in the ring, like mocking him to like piss him off to try and set up this, this match later down the road. And he said, no, I, I don't want to go there. He said, one day I'm going to go back to that. He said, no, I don't want to put that out there anymore. I want that to kind of be on the back burner and I want people to forget about it. Taker was very protective of his character uh, and of his work and of how he was utilized. So I, I can see that 
if you would have asked me, like, do you think Taker would be cool with someone coming out dressed up like the old version, the original version of Undertaker? I would have said no, <laughs> just because he was very, very protective of uh, of his character. But I imagine Jeff was probably eating up that idea. And if oh, I recall, he, was, he was going nuts to do it. He, he was super excited to do it. If I recall, they did a 30 year anniversary photo yes. shoot of The Undertaker and Jeff did dress up like he that did. for the photo shoot. So clearly an impressionable character for Jeff Hardy. Yeah. And, and that's. That very much plays into his ideology. I, I get that all. But we need to talk about a pivotal thing that happens here. And Jeff brought it up. And that's Stone Cold Steve Austin walking out. It right. happened June 10th, 2002, after WWE asked him to lose to Brock Lesnar on no notice and no build in a King of the Ring qualifier match. And right. Austin straight up leaves. What do you remember about that night? I remember that was a, a really shocking twist of fate <laughs> to do a play on. On my finish, it was a very shocking twist of fate. I know everybody was surprised, like, oh, my God, this is like so cold. I can't believe he just walked out and just left. And then we kind of heard the circumstances surrounding it later on. We didn't know what the deal was at first. And and I, I know from even speaking to Steve and, and some of the interviews he's done later, he regrets doing that. And he would have handled it very much different. But it's very hard when you're in that mindset of like uh, – you know, I, I'm the top star here. I have to protect myself. I have to protect myself. Much like I just said with Undertaker being so protective of his character. I mean, Steve as well felt like he was doing what was best for his persona. He probably thought like, well, I don't know. What is this Brock Lesnar kid really going to do in the big scheme of things? Is it worth sacrificing Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is still a legitimately huge draw? Is it worth sacrificing him and feeding him to Brock Lesnar, especially with no build? So uh, I, I get where Steve was coming from, but I think in hindsight – anyone else and uh and, and even steve now they would have definitely handled things differently that day how did the locker room look at that was it seen as an opportunity that maybe we can raise some new blood here new opportunities might be found or was it maybe a little more somber because this is a guy who was a huge draw for, i mean forget forget the fact that he's a locker room guy he's a huge draw right uh, there, there was a lot of uncertainty. I think people just didn't know what his status was. Um, I, I'm sure there were people who had been around who were in singles positions that did feel pretty motivated that maybe this would open up some some new slots and they would get some some new opportunities to, to move closer to that top or, or really grab the brass ring, so to say. So I'm sure there were some of those people. As far as the way we looked at it, it was just still kind of, I guess, business as usual. You know, it was just... Uh, Unfortunate because we knew Stone Cold wasn't going to be appearing on house shows because he always was a ticket seller. He was always someone that helped uh, help help move tickets. And and you know if there's a bigger attendance or there's more people in that arena, you're going to make a little more because it's based off uh, based off attendance. So around this period, Raven of all people is kind of working in the shadows of the undertaker and he's been messing around with you guys and on that june 10th episode of raw the undertaker is giving an interview and he actually calls you guys out he calls out jeff specifically but you came out with a ladder and then jeff attacked him from behind and he got hit with a choke slam and you got one up on the undertaker and he was about to take you out and then jeff recovered and got him so it, it was this whole just back and forth back and forth back and forth with the undertaker eventually he lays or he gets laid out by you guys sorry there's a lot to recap there so the mm -hmm. hardy boys get huh. something up on the undertaker here and that is going to set you up for a singles match with the undertaker which he beats you the next week in two minutes and 12 seconds with a last ride right uh, jeff ran in but raven took him out and then he handcuffed jeff to the top rope and undertaker 
destroyed him while Raven got mad in a submission and forced you to watch. So we're really playing with the mental games here and forcing the Hardy Boys to be tortured at the hands of the dead man and Raven of all people. What do you think of the storytelling here and trying to on the fly kind of come up with something to get the Hardy Boys involved with The Undertaker? Uh, I mean, anytime you work with a top act, I mean, that's always very humbling and, and you feel you appreciate it. You know, uh, you're, you're happy to do it and, and you feel like it shows that people have trust in you. And the fact that we were able to go out and even though it took two of us, I mean, we still ended up doing it. We, we laid The Undertaker out and that's kind of what people remember at the end. You know, a lot, a lot of times people say like, don't be too critical of every single thing you're going to do because really at the end of the day, the wrestling fans are going to remember the way it ends. You know, whatever the big spot is at the end that is the most impactful, whatever's built to be the most impactful. And the most impactful was us coming out and fighting with The Undertaker and eventually getting the advantage and Jeff doing that big leg drop after he uh, slingshotted over the ladder and and left Taker Lane. You know, and we're obviously building to that ladder match, you know, already at this juncture. So uh, it was cool to to be involved in that. I, I think it would have been beneficial to both myself and Jeff if our regular matches against Taker would have been a little longer. And we, they seem more competitive. I think people would have been more invested in it. And I think by instead of having a two-minute match with Undertaker, if I could have had a six-minute match with Undertaker, and you know he still could have dominated the match, but I would have shown a lot more fight. And same, fight, right. same, same thing with Jeff. I, I think that would have helped elevate us a lot more. I, I feel like it's hard to take the Hardys as serious as singles competitors when they're getting beat so quickly and also so, you know, uh, so uh, defiantly, you know, just two minutes, bam, they're beat. So you knew at this point that Jeff was going to get a ladder match with The Undertaker. I, I I knew we had talked about going to that. And I'm sure that's why we utilized the ladder there, because it, it wouldn't have popped up for any random reason if we weren't building something involving a ladder. I know you're not the jealous type and you're an optimistic guy, but was there any part of you that was a little myth that it wasn't you getting that opportunity to have a ladder match with The Undertaker? <laughs> Yeah, it, it wasn't jealousy, but I'm sure there was because I'd been working really hard and I was as motivated as I've ever been. I was extremely healthy at that time and I was like ready to go. Like, you know, and I wanted to achieve as much success as I could and, and put as much respect and reverence on my name as I possibly could at that time. So, yeah, I'm sure it was frustrating, especially because where my heart was 100 percent into it, Jeff's heart was only 40 percent into it. That's exactly it, because Jeff was going to leave. He was going to go record an album, and here you are. You're like, no, I fucking love pro wrestling. Yeah, Working with The Undertaker is a dream opportunity for me at this point in my career, and yet Jeff's the one who's getting the opportunity to do your specialty match with a guy who's never had a ladder match in his career. Right. It's, It's an interesting decision made by WWE in that sense. Maybe, and this is not me throwing a slight at Jeff, but you're the super reliable one here. And right. it's Jeff getting the opportunity. Why do you think it was Jeff that was given the nod? I mean, I'm, I'm certain why it was Jeff. Just because Jeff does, when it comes to those environments, like a ladder match or being a flashy wrestler or being someone with pizzazz, Jeff has more pizzazz. You know, I, I could have went out and had a, a super solid ladder match with Taker. It could have been a great building process for me. And I felt like I was a lot more reliable at that time. But Jeff was going to go out and he was going to do the uh, the he was going to have all the pizzazz. You know, he was going to go out and, and, and do some show ceiling maneuvers during the course of this match. And that's why Jeff has always been so beloved. You yeah. know, earlier on, and I've said this a lot in the past, you know, I, I realized that 
when it comes to like swantons, whisper in the winds, I could do those things even then, but Jeff can do them so much better. So let's let Jeff do that. And Jeff can't do the fundamental stuff as well. I will focus on being the fundamental guy of the Hardy Boys, the secret sauce, as you so eloquently claimed, you know, uh, but, th- but that's OK. I accepted my role and I was good for it. And just because Jeff was the guy who was super cool and he did have this unique charisma and also did all these amazing, super, uh, super fly high spots and whatnot. He is always the guy they kind of went with. And, and I think the, the fans even gravitated to that as well. That's one of the reasons Jeff is so historically popular as he is. My gut tells me nine times out of ten, The Undertaker would rather work with a fundamentally sound secret sauce than those stuntmen. <laughs> But there was this one time out of ten that he did right. stuntman. So they needed they needed a stuntman for the stunt show. That's right. So at King of the Ring, you guys work a pre-show match against Raven and Steven Richards. You guys end yeah. up picking up the win there. I actually watched this match back in preparation for this. I thought it was a good little pre-show match. So Stevie too. Stevie was really good at that time too. I really enjoyed working with Stevie. I worked with him a lot during that time, and he was he was really fun to work with. And he was very very solid. Yeah, two good. I, I love watching Raven stuff, man. Too. I, I just had a chance to interview Raven on DDP Snake Pit over on podcast. He uh-huh. and a, a very underrated talent in his own right, and I thought a great mind for yeah, wrestling history too. An absolute great mind. I mean, the, the stuff that he did at ECW when Raven first burst on the scene was just some some breakthrough stuff. So so great. There's a little Jeff Hardy in some of that stuff too. And, there is, and there I is. like looking at that. Here's what I've been waiting to talk to you about. You and I had a little pre-production meeting on the phone yesterday, and this is just such a great little nugget I found in the Wrestling Observer, and I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this. <laughs> As of the June 17th, 2002 Raw, there are the top five audience movers, as determined by Dave, using statistics, and the bottom five liabilities for viewership. Right. The top five, Ric Flair... Austin, Undertaker, Scott Hall, Rob Van Dam. The five biggest liabilities. Goldust is the biggest with an average of losing 124,900 viewers. Jazz is second. Three and four. Matt Hardy at minus 103,300 viewers. Jeff Hardy at minus 70,500 viewers. Interesting. This is interesting because this is using statistics. He's he's taking averages of when there were viewership gains and losses over. Right. I, I don't know what his period of time was, but his conclusion is basically that the audience might be getting a little tired of the Hardy Boys in their current iteration. What do you make of that? It's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, like ratings, Nielsen ratings for you know so long. We I mean, how. How do you know how accurate they are? It's just such a crazy, insane system, but it is what advertisers go by. It's what they spend money on. So it matters, you know, and, and if it matters, then there's there's something to it. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, once again, is, is, is part of that, you know, whenever you have us doing singles, uh, singles roles, uh, you're, you're not allowing us to, to shine. We're having a two minute match against Undertaker. So we're not being taken as serious if we're in a, a singles capacity as we would be as a tag team. I don't I don't know. Those numbers are very interesting, but uh, there's got to be some sort of reality to it because, uh, you know, just those numbers were drawn up. And and especially the guys that were draws, you know, when you say the Ric Flair and the Stone Cold and all that. I mean, it's just just super interesting, intriguing stuff. 
I do want to say there are outlier elements here. Number one, this is a time when four to five million people are watching wrestling. So even if Matt Hardy is single-handedly causing 100,000 people to tune out because they just can't stand the look of his face, <laughs> well, that's a very small number in the grand sure. scheme of things. That's not something that right. I would be overly concerned about at the end of the day. Number two, this period of time, May into June is a super, super hot time for major sports playoffs. The NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the NBA Finals, keep in time, 2002, that's the era of Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge TV draw. And I don't don't think that can be undersold in any capacity. And they they still cut into pro wrestling today. (laughs) Correct. Exactly. Exactly. We had a very hot Detroit Red Wings team in 2002 when hockey was a little more prominent in terms of its viewership. You had good Yankees teams, as a producer Dom says, with Jason Giambi laying things up in 2002. And we're in the height of the steroid era where everyone wants to see what Barry Bonds is going to do. Sports (laughs) properties are really big draws here, as is wrestling. But Mm -hmm. the general fan tends to skew towards an important sporting event over weekly professional wrestling. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that, that's why it's so hard to com- compete with those things. And especially wrestling. I mean, it's amazing the the ratings that wrestling still does garner because, I mean, we are live, you know, 52 weeks a year, sometimes for multiple shows now. Uh, so so that that's a lot of content. So to have an audience, especially in, in the millions at that point, is, is really something. It's a big accomplishment. Yeah. Absolutely. Huge accomplishment. I just wish you were a bigger draw. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, Jeff actually becomes a pretty big draw the next week. It's June 24th. Taker has his one-on-one match with him, and he beats him in a little over two minutes. And Jeff right there challenges him to a ladder match. And what is interesting to note is that it's one of only two segments during that episode that adds viewers. 330,000 people turn in for a net positive on this segment. That's a a very, very interesting number. Now, we mentioned people do like The Undertaker, but I do think that there was some intrigue with Jeff, to say the least, especially with Austin out. What was your reading on how fans were receiving Jeff at that moment? I I mean, people were into what he he was doing. Uh, And he's always been, as I've said, historically, extremely popular. No matter where he is or, you know, what he's doing, people just just love him. He has this very special it charisma to him, obviously. Uh, so people were, were into him. And it, and it seemed like we were kind of moving into that direction where we we're going to get a serious uh, competitive match between Jeff and Undertaker. So I think people were invested in him. And, and also, I was just going to say one of the interesting things about numbers, too, you're talking about. Uh, segments like losing viewers, whatever. A, a huge part of that too is like where the commercials are placed, because like just depending on where the commercial placement is, is, is like uh, really to your advantage or to your disadvantage. You know, because there can be times where a commercial pops in, and then the segment that might follow up, you've had so many people tune out, and then it seems like the talent in that next segment are the people that did it, but they actually tune out for the commercials. So that the whole thing about you know, the minute to minutes are extremely interesting. The, the few times I've been able to, to check those and get those numbers, they're, they're extremely interesting. But th- there's something to those numbers. And there's also no picture and picture going down at this time, really. So yeah. that that's an element, too. I love that's honest to God. One of my favorite parts of AEW television is the picture and yeah. picture. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think that's a fair and honest assessment that you've mm-hmm. got there. But that brings us, Matt Hardy, to 
a very special night, and that is July 1st, 2002, Manchester, New Hampshire, 9,000 fans. It is a sellout. The Undertaker is ready to put his body through hell against Jeff Hardy. And Matt Hardy, I can promise you this, if you're putting your body through hell, well, we got a perfect sponsor here with the extreme life of Matt Hardy that wants to help you out. And that, of course, is our friends over at Athletic Greens with their AG1. It is a product that you are using literally every day. Why are you using AG1? AG1s are the perfect way to start my day out. I have that nice little wonderfully tasting green drink and my day's better already. What am I talking about here? Well, with one scoop, a delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. It is this special blend of ingredients that supports your gut health, which Lord knows I need, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all those things all together in one. Tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's one thing that you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in those winter months that Matt Hardy hates so much. Hates terribly. We just don't get that much sunlight in them. So this will help you get that. And the beauty is it costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing yeah. in your health. It's cheaper than any coffee you go out and buy. It's cheaper than getting all those different supplements and adding them up yourselves. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has over 75,000 reviews. And guess how many stars those reviews are, Matt Hardy? Five, cinco, five, cinco, five. And I have to tell you this, too. When it comes to AG1s, I uh, this is my testimonial. I have lost four pounds since I've been doing Oh, oh look at that. Yeah, dropping down is taking me back to my youth. <laughs> Look at that. It's the beautiful diet of AG1s and spicy tuna for Matt Hardy that's getting the job done there. I highly endorse this product. Matt Hardy does right now. It's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. Just one scoop and a cup of water every day, and that is it. No need for a million different pills so and supplements easy. to take so care of. Absolutely. And look after your health. Make it easy. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do, visit athleticgreens.com forward slash hardy. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash hardy to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. If it works for me, it will definitely work for you. Yeah, and as Tess said, Matt Hardy's a jobber, bro. <laughs> so if it's working for him, it's going to work for you. But this jobber's losing poundage. <laughs> hey. I like talking about Tess last week. That was fun. Yeah, that was, it was, it was fun. good to get some insight on him. But The Undertaker could have used some AG1s because for the first time in his career, he's going to put himself through a ladder match. And it's he, he, should, he should have hit himself with a triple dose of AG1s that day. <laughs> he's going to need it. What was The Undertaker's reaction to being in a ladder match? Was there hesitance on his behalf? I, I think he was he was a little nervous about it because like, I think in his mind, this was going to be his only ladder match. And uh, his legacy, obviously, is very important to him. He wanted to make sure if he was going to be involved in a ladder match, it was going to be as good as it possibly could be. He didn't want to go out there and, like, shit the bed with a ladder match and, and people to think bad or poor of Undertaker. So he was very passionate about making this as great of a ladder match as he possibly could. 
So with that said, guys, if you're watching us on YouTube, Matt Hardy brand, you're going to be able to watch this match with us as well. Uh, if not, you can find the full match on YouTube as well and watch it on your own. We're going to start right from the beginning of the WWE official video on that. And you're going to be able to watch along with us. We'll chime in. We're I'm going to go audio up for what I believe is one of the greatest calls in the history of wrestling that Jim Ross throws in this match. Matt Hardy, when was the last time you watched this match? Um, it's been a while. It's okay. Been, it's been years. All right. Well, we're going to queue it up right now. Sounds great. And let's take a look at what Jeff Hardy did against The Undertaker. We are live, ladies and gentlemen, here on Raw. Manchester, New Hampshire here, July 1st, 2002. Now, on our V1 episode, you mentioned that Michael Hayes was the producer for this match. Was mm -hmm. he typically working with The Undertaker around that time? Um, a lot. I, I think even if he wasn't actually the producer with Undertaker, I feel like he'd always kind of chime in and try and help out with the match. Uh, but but Michael was slowly working his way into becoming like the top producer at, at this time anyway. So there were there were many times he was with uh, Undertaker, but he wasn't like exclusive to Undertaker. And he also would always try and sit in on our stuff too and try and help us out. So considering it was Jeff and, and Taker, Michael was pretty much a natural for this match. Is there a little extra pressure on Jeff when he's working with a guy like The Undertaker and Michael Hayes is like, hey, don't fuck up, you know, anything of that nature? Probably so, yeah. But I, I feel like Jeff, at this point, he's young, he's healthy, he can do anything. I feel like he was probably pretty confident in this. He just wanted to make sure to, to make Taker look as great as possible, too. That was really important to him. I know he was, like, such a big fan of this spot, even jumping on his bike <laughs> take right, right from the jump. I remember Jeff just thought that was the coolest thing ever. He was so happy he was getting to do that spot. Yeah, that seems like something that he would have very much enjoyed because, as we know, Jeff enjoys a good bike every now and then. And here yeah. we go. We're off to a hot start here. Look yeah. at that. Plancha right over the top. And uh, it, 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 it was really – it goes to show, I think, how Taker understood. Like, he had to set – Right from the beginning, like Jeff is a serious threat in this match, especially if we've had these contests against him in regular matches where we're losing in just a couple minutes. I think it was very important for this match that he had to really set the tone right from the beginning, and that is that Jeff is going to be a threat and this is going to be a competitive match. Here we go. Here's The Undertaker asserting his dominance, but it's it's almost like the cat chasing the mouse just a little bit. Yes, and uh, th this is definitely you, – you can tell Taker put this together, like or, you know, it was – Definitely approved by Taker at the end of the day because every the, the way he's doing everything, he is staying big. He is staying in his gimmick. He just has Jeff being Team Extreme and, and doing all the flying and taking all the chance to try and take down the big guy. It's funny because Taker wasn't doing any high-flying stuff at this time. People have to remember that. He didn't bring his his Kohilo up, up until right. much later down the line when he's like, man, I'm a big man who's got to keep up with everybody. So this is grounded Undertaker here. For sure, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's funny. Undertaker was such a, a character, but he was also a very, very smart worker. And he could. He was super solid. Uh, if he would go out and have a match, he could have, like, a great match with a, a smaller guy, too. I remember one of the, you know, the, the early Hell in a Cell with uh, Shawn Michaels and Undertaker. I thought that was a great display of how actually talented Undertaker was, you know, especially if he allows the match to be competitive with the smaller guy and how, how well he could move, how athletic he was, and how he was willing to sell for someone smaller, too. So if he was put in the right scenario, the right situation, uh, Undertaker could have a great match with anyone. Yeah, I agree with you entirely on that. 
Let's answer some Ask Matt questions. We got a ton of them while we watch this here. Uh, Eric wants to know, what did Gorilla look like? Did anyone have any clue that that match was going to turn into what it did? Love the show. You know, I, I really don't know. I actually watched from Gorilla. I uh, was up there and, you know, wished them both luck before they went out. And I remember watching from Gorilla and like people were really amazed at how interactive the crowd became, especially as the match continued on. And at the very end, when Jeff has that great false finish, when JR does that great call, one of your favorite calls in history. I mean, pe- people were like, wow, this is really something special. And I don't think anyone thought it would be that going into it. I, I, I thought oh, they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I really believe people thought like this could be a, a a great match and could really do something to elevate Jeff Hardy in defeat, but I don't think they thought that people were going to get as invested in it as they actually did. I winced at Jeff doing a leg drop onto the ladder onto Taker there. Yeah. That, that couldn't be pleasant for anyone involved. Yeah, it was more like he just did a, a big jumping bonsai drop, right? Just sitting on the ladder. Uh, brutal. So uh, Jeff's uh, movements are very good in in these scenarios as well, you know, especially his selling. He's so fast, so healthy. And and Jeff is is one of the best sellers in the business. Ricky Morton was so great at selling. Shawn Michaels so great at selling. But just the way Jeff sells is so unique. And you see a lot of that in this scenario where people really have sympathy for him when he's selling. You know, even if they, you know, go like, oh, I think it's kind of a show. They always do have sympathy because Jeff sells in such a unique way. There's also a very subtle story here where Jeff couldn't even make it two minutes with The Undertaker in a normal match, but now that Jeff has his advantage here, he's able to hang with The Undertaker. Exactly. I think that's a good little story to try to drill home to your audience. It is. And and it, I feel like, you know how I said Taker started this match off with Jeff real hot on offense right from the jump, where he's giving, you know... Uh, painting a picture that this is going to be a competitive match. And I think right here you have a very smart Undertaker protection move just in case something does go awry in this match or whatever. He's still winning the match, obviously, but now Undertaker is demonstrating that I could win this match at any time. You know, I've beaten this guy two minutes. Even in this ladder match, I could have beat him at two minutes. But I've told this guy I'm going to punish him, and he's not going uh, to leave this match on his feet. He's not going to leave this match standing. And so that, that, that was a good little spot there, just uh, protection-wise for Taker in the big scheme of things. That's great character depth for bad guys, too. You see it in movies all the time. Sure. There's a million times that bad guys could very easily just kill off the good guy in a movie, but because they're so self-absorbed, they end up costing themselves. And, and also, I feel like that, that spot was also beneficial because people already know from the beginning, like, well, he's showing us that he could have won the match. Maybe Jeff is going to win this. Is it possible? Maybe Jeff is going to win. Undertaker showed us that he could have won the match if he wanted to, but now maybe he's going to make a mistake and there's going to be some huge upset tonight. So I think that also helped uh, people buy into Jeff, possibly winning this match a little better too. Dylan wants to know, did Jeff share any of his thoughts with you right before the match? No, I mean, not not really. I was out there as they were talking about this match, as they were constructing it, as they were putting it together. I just, I know he was nervous to be having a long match with Undertaker, but he was very confident in everything he was going to do. And he he was feeling well before the match. And and I could tell that he wasn't sweating uh, doing any of this stuff, you know, as far as from the physical aspect, but he just wanted to make sure that he was good because Taker really wanted this match to be great because it was going to be the only ladder match you know, and he very much cares about his legacy. And what's funny about it is we talk about Taker being the veteran here, but 
you and Jeff are the veterans of the ladder match. Nobody's been in more ladder matches to this point than you guys have. So Jeff is almost tasked with being the one to take care of things here, given his experience level. I mean, yes. I mean, he, he is the one kind of being tasked with like, how creative can you be to figure out ways to, you know, shine up on the undertaker while still protecting his character and his uh, position on the roster as well. So yeah, Jeff was tasked with quite a bit. Let's see what else we got here. Uh, Bobby wants to know how long did it take Jeff to meld his style with the undertaker in order to pull off a match like this? I, I, I don't think it was a a hard thing for him to do. I I think Jeff, he says this often. Jeff says I I shine when I sell and he's, always believed that and felt like that since day one so in jeff's mind i'm sure the more steam undertaker got on him he thought it was better for the match so it wasn't like jeff isn't uh one of these egomaniacs that has to get all the shit in during the course of a match jeff wants to get beat up and he wants to sell and he wants uh people to have sympathy for him you know as he's doing here trying to pull himself up within the ropes so working with undertaker is the perfect scenario for him We'll get to some more questions after the match itself, but I want to really own in on the storytelling here. Yeah, this is great. I love how he's fighting off his knees there. And the way the crowd comes is like uh, – the way the crowd comes is very telling. that They they are invested in this match, and they are invested in Jeff Hardy, and they are invested in seeing a a big underdog upset. And what a great little – visual there from the undertaker too where jeff's making a small little comeback yeah big haymaker and then he's touching wait i can't believe he he just got some on me yeah 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 now i gotta punish him for it yes yeah his uh his uh body mannerisms all through this have, have been great and he's doing a great job of telling the story with just you know with, with his body and with his mannerisms taker a better heel or a better baby face in your opinion Ooh. uh Look at this. I, I, I feel like as a worker, he is better better as a heel. Just being, he's always 95% of the time be the biggest guy in the match. So I, I feel like he was very, very good as a heel. And, and his style, the way he works, his pace, his speed, which is a, a slower, more old school feel, uh, works better for a heel, I think. Here we go. Jeff hung up in the ladder and the ropes. Taker on the apron. Leg drop on the ladder onto Jeff's back. Good sell by Taker right there, too. I think that might have been a little bit of a shoot sell, too. (laughs) Knowing uh, Taker's legs, I can't imagine that felt too good. And uh, right here, here, it's it's one thing, too. I was thinking about this the last time I I really watched this match through. I wonder if there was a point, because I know we're going to talk about things at at the very end of this, about how this match, from a ratings perspective, didn't do great numbers or whatever. But do you think we got to a point where this was such an old school wrestling match with so much heat on the babyface beating him down. Some people may have lost interest in this match. Go, Oh, well, it's just going to be a taker squashing Jeff. There, there, there may have been some of that in this scenario too. I could see that with the cat, the quote unquote casual fan, maybe, mm-hmm. but I think you're not a smart wrestling fan. If you're not anticipating the babyface comeback. I, I, I do agree with that. But like uh, as we're watching here, it's a pretty elongated heat mm-hmm. that he ends up getting on Jeff until we turn around here for one second. So I, I, I was thinking about that. The, the last time I watched this, was this a little too slow, a little too deliberate for a modern wrestling crowd? I would say, yeah. I mean, this was 20 years ago, but uh, they, they are telling an incredible story. I think Jeff moves out of the way. Taker goes face first into the ladder. And here we go. It's comeback time. 
because it is hard to imagine this match, which ended up being so great after it was done and like so iconic in so many ways. What a sweet whisper in the wind. Oh my God. Incredible. Perfect. Uh, this, this match was so iconic. It's, 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 it's hard to believe that this didn't like do a good number. It's hard to believe that like people tuned out as this match went on. We'll talk about that number in just a little bit here. I want to go audio up here for a quick second. Let's take a listen. Right. The pain this kid's trying to endure here. He, he could barely hold the ladder nice. He hadn't had to do it. I'm taking Jeff Hardy's head almost off his shoulders, his carcass, his body, certainly out of the ring. JR was so damn good in this. Dude, JR is just as important as either of the two guys in this match. Oh, yeah. Just even referring to Jeff as a carcass. Yeah. He lays out there. Big that's, a, that, that's a big Undertaker spot there. That That's the way uh, a smaller guy can get a little advantage on him. The old kick to the, uh, the, old kick to the nuts. Hope he manscaped. Yes. Look I at this know. from Jeff. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah, that was uh, that was very cool. Taker dove in a little bit to catch him, just to make sure. <laughs> it's hard too. That ladder is very unstable. He got yeah. a little bounce on the ropes. Very, very unstable. That was a, a tricky, tricky move to pull. Oh, Jeff could have wiped out easily there. Yeah. So now we got the baby face making the comeback. We got David trying to slay Goliath here. This is such an easy story Indeed. to tell, Matt. But it's effective every single time you tell it. Indeed, I mean it's uh, it, it just is. It is the the oldest story in pro wrestling, and and it will always work. Jeff's got the mega ladder. I call this the Jeff Hardy ladder. Yeah, very very typical of Jeff, right? You know, to uh, to grab the biggest ladder possible. Let's hear the crowd reacting here. JR is so great at descriptors yeah. in his goal, oh, yeah. and, and that makes him so special here. Indeed. Last ride attempt. Jeff goes with Hurricane Rana. And the reaction to that when Jeff started going to the ladder was great, too. Let's hear it again. I want to keep owning these. Especially there was enough distance between the Undertaker being out of the ring and Jeff being in the ring that it's a, it's a very believable false match. I'm going to go back down and I'm going to come back up for the call of a lifetime here in just nice. a moment. Right. But this is building towards one of the true star making moments in the legendary tome of the Hardy Boys here. Right. Take her throwing the chair down. Going to put him in position for the last ride. Matt, I want you and I to sit back here and just let it ride. Here we go. Yeah. You heard the iconic call there. Climb the ladder, kid. Make yourself famous. Crowd going absolutely nuts. And then here comes Taker. Chairs to the back. Now he's going to climb the ladder. That was electric. Yes. Incredible. Incredible false finish. When you're in Gorilla and seeing that, are you getting goosebumps? Yeah. I mean, especially to see the crowd so invested 
you know, in your partner and in your brother against one of the most iconic wrestlers of all time. Yeah. And choke slam off the ladder. Took two of those bumps almost back to back. Not fun. The Undertaker retains the Undisputed Championship. By the way, I love that belt. I think that's one of the best belts in WWE history. And I think it's a shame that it didn't yeah, last I, very long. I dug that belt as well. Looked like a wrestling championship. But that's it, man. The Undertaker defeats Jeff Hardy, but uh, that's not the end of the story here. It's the end of the match, but not the end of the story here. And as, uh, as, as Taker said, I saw in interviews later, like uh, he, he really believed there was a way in elevating Jeff even in not winning this match. You know, he could lose the match in theory, but he could still be elevated. And, and he was correct. This match absolutely elevated Jeff and, and it made people look at him differently. It's more of a, a more of a, a serious, you know, top player. Just look how exhausted Undertaker is to selling his exhaustion big. Right. You know, because it was a very simple story. You know, he promised he's not going to be standing when the match ends. And he's been telling that story all the way through the match. He's beat the shit out of him. And he starts using the ropes, getting back up. And Taker is going to be a man of his word. I'm going to make sure you're not standing. Last ride. What a great powerbomb the last ride is, man. Yeah. Jeff's out. Taker's done his business. That's it. It's his yard. He left it the way he wanted it to. Right. Or did he? Going up on the this bike. is great too. How he gets on the motorcycle when he goes all the way to the top. Yep. And then Jeff, Jeff's voice. If you want to go volume, I, I hear a real squeaky voice. Yeah, this Very is a uh, this is white meat little little kid Jeff Hardy here. Here yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey! Oh, tell me he's not <laughs> you haven't broke me, Taker. <laughs> you haven't broke me. <laughs> His eyes. I'm still standing. Oh, God. No, you're not. Cut the mic so off. from the ropes, I'm standing. Cut the damn mic off. That's enough. I love that he added it from the ropes. I'm yeah. still standing. Don't do it. Right, that's enough, Jeff. Jeff. That's enough. Throw the mic. You got nothing to, us, nothing to prove. Kid. Give us that microphone. You got nothing to prove. <laughs> Jeff Hardy's defenseless here. There's no reason for this. Great reaction. Great camera shot. Great camera shot. Their looks to one another are so amazing. He's helpless. As I said, he's defenseless. And look at that. Great moment to get endorsed by, you know, the legendary Undertaker. Tremendous storytelling, man. Yeah, tremendous indeed. And just these whole, you know, the whole, uh, the looks, the facials he's giving him here. Like, you're a crazy son of a bitch. Like, you're one of the toughest guys I've ever stepped in the ring with. I can't believe you would not sit down, even though I whipped your ass. Like, what the hell, man? This guy's something. This guy's special. Huge and, uh, endorsement and, there. Yeah, huge endorsement. And and that is what he, he wanted to get out of this match. And he absolutely achieved it. Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind 
What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com. If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool. What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Savewithconrad.com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender, savewithconrad.com. What do you think watching it back? I mean, I thought it was a great match. I, lo- I love it. And, and it's one of those things like, I feel like it, it came out better than expected. You know, Taker wanted it to be great. I thought it was a great match for him being a big guy, especially a guy that works the way he does. I thought it was a fantastic ladder match. I thought Jeff was amazing in his role, the way he sold, the way he got, uh, you know, sympathy on himself. I, th- I thought it was a winner. It was a win, win, win. Undertaker said this in 2020 within, in an interview with Alex McCarthy. He mentioned that he didn't find out that he was going to be in the ladder match until he got there. So you guys may have had an Iggy ahead of time, but the Undertaker apparently didn't. And he wasn't happy about it. But he said, those are the kind of things that happen that just help you creatively because you do get comfortable sometimes doing the same things. It pushed me and allowed me to push Jeff and him to be able to shine in this kind of match. So I'm very proud of that match. I think it might have been the only ladder match I was ever in. I can't think of the top of my head of another one. So we got it right the first time and we didn't have to do it again. So and he, he is, I mean, he's, he's very right when he says that it's very important to be pushed out of your comfort zone, you know, especially as a pro wrestler, uh, you know, to, to stay relevant and change and do different things and show people your range. It's very important to step out of your comfort zone once in a while. And that, that's something Vince McMahon very actively asked guys to do. Like he will put guys in situations that they might not feel comfortable because he wants them to be, you know, to step out of their comfort zone. And, and that's when you grow. That's when you become, become more and evolve. I was reading Meltzer's recap of the match, and it was very fascinating because he, he brings up something that I think might have a little merit, okay. but I'm, I'm not entirely sure. And let me read this passage here. He says, it was a good story, and that part I liked, but by doing the whole endorsement twice, it means a little less than once. Also, there's nothing that can be done for Jeff other than having him disappear for a while and coming back with a new coat of paint. He had his chance until Triple H destroyed him. Since then, he's been devalued so much over the past year that there's no luster left on him, no matter if they got loud shrieks from teenage girls at the matches. This is not a teenage girl promotion, and adult guys don't think he's anything since they have no reason to, since he hasn't been treated as if he's anything for so long. What do you think about that? Mm, I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I, I think, once again, I, I think Jeff was elevated in that match. And I think you have a story <clears throat> right from the jump that, like, this is a guy who who will not die, uh, you know, who uh, is stronger than death, who, who won't stay down. He keeps getting back up. There's, you can't beat this guy down enough to, like, keep him down. He will continue to rise up over and over and over again. I mean, and that's, a, that's the beginning of an underdog story right there. And especially if people are – invested in this guy and if he evokes so much emotion like jeff did in that match then then i think that is a a a great foundation a great uh launching pad for him going forward i don't think he has to go away from tv and come back with a new coat of paint or a new character or a new look or a new persona i think you could have taken that point that you were at just then where you build jeff up as this guy who will not stay down regardless of how much hell he goes through. The Undertaker gave him everything he had. He hit him with every move in his arsenal, but he kept getting up. He kept getting up. He kept getting up. I think you have a have a player right from that moment on. And here's the big thing, the big takeaway that you alluded to before, and I'm going to read it directly from Dave here. He talks about the match not drawing well. He says, you right. can make whatever explanation you want out of it, 
but it says something about what that people see Jeff Hardy has. Sorry, let me say it again. But it says something about what people see Jeff Hardy as. And that when it has been said that the Hardys are a dead act, people who didn't believe it got a major lesson. Overall, from start to finish, the match lost 1,129,000 viewers. That is insane. More than a million people tuned out during a match in which Jeff Hardy cemented himself as a future main eventer and people look back on, as you just said before, fondly as one of the greatest matches on Raw ever. Yeah. People look back and have great reverence for that match, you know? So yeah, that, 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 that is one of the oddest, strangest numbers and statistics. I I would suggest you could possibly read. Uh, It's so strange, but I don't know. Maybe uh, people were watching that match and and maybe as I'd said one time before, he he just beat the shit out of Jeff for so long. Maybe people said, okay, well, I guess this is going to end soon. He's just going to beat him up. Click. Maybe. I, I don't know. We also don't know head to head what it was going against at that exact moment in time, too. Correct. I need to which make was, that it, very clear. Which is a huge deal, especially in that day and age when the, uh, there was a lot less TV channels and, uh, and and a lot less media platforms to watch then. Right. So, uh, you really, it, it's one of those things where context is very important at the end sure. of the day. Um, but but that is eye opening, and he also says. <laughs> The Hardys are a dead act. That cracked me up. That was yeah. that was. Yeah, we've been a dead act for twenty years. The Hardys are in fact stronger than death, Matt Hardy, <laughs> because here they are, uh, still talking about that. So, what Two is the re- later? What is the reaction once they get through the Kern and back into Gorilla? Uh, everybody was thrilled, thrilled with it. I, I remember Vince put it over huge too. Thought it was a great match. He was uh, proud of both Taker and Jeff. Very, very proud of Taker for kind of, once again, stepping out of his comfort zone and uh, doing something different and really excelling in uh, in a match that isn't really tailor-made for him. Was it an emotional moment for Michael Hayes? That's his wrestling son having a big match like that. Uh, He was certainly proud of him. He was beaming with pride. So I'm sure it was. You know, he was very professional and he was very proud of it. He was the, the coach for the match, the producer for the match, and he did his job. But I'm sure he was very, very proud of Jeff. And now with Stone Cold Steve Austin out, we've got an opportunity to make Jeff Hardy a big star here. And unfortunately, as we know, it doesn't end up quite happening that way. And you can hear that whole story in our V1 episode, yeah. which is one of my favorite episodes of this podcast, quite frankly. Same. But I want to get into... If you've never heard it, you should go back in the archives and listen. ExtremeHardy.com. Go check it out. ExtremeHardy.com. I want to get to some more questions here from our Extreme Life of Matt Hardy fans here, Matt. Because uh, there are some pretty good ones here. Uh, Crandon says, in an interview, Taker was asked about the match, stating he's very proud of it and he couldn't have done it without Jeff being as good of a dance partner that he is. So my question is, how was it working with Taker in this period of time? Uh, it was always a thrill to work with Taker because he was a guy that legitimately, when we became pro wrestling fans, we watched as we were growing up. You know, Obviously, when he was doing Mean More Callous, that's where we were for, uh, first exposed to Undertaker. And, uh, and and we dug the whole Undertaker persona when he first started in WWE. So just being able to work with him was very cool because that's like being able to work with someone who was like a legitimate top superstar that we kind of watched on TV coming up. So that, that was very cool. Um, he was always solid, too. You know, he, he did basic 
uh, very strong fundamental matches. So it was, it was always a pleasure to work with them. And, and you would always learn something working with them too, especially in working a, a match with a, a very big guy against a smaller guy. He was, he was very knowledgeable about those and he would have a lot of good creative ideas, just very simple stuff. that was very good, very realistic. Mr. Jax wants to know if it were you facing Undertaker instead of Jeff, would the match had been better or as good? I think I could have had a great ladder match with Undertaker. Uh, once again, as I said before, I don't have uh, the pizzazz that Jeff has when he's doing his high-flying moves and whatnot. I, I don't do them quite like he does. But I could have went out and I, I could have had a had a great match with Taker. I'm sure of it. And would the crowd have been invested? I don't know. You know, they they love Jeff because of the whisper in the winds and the swan tines, and he really is the epitome of uh, of of a hardy boy, uh, of an adrenaline junkie, of a daredevil, you know, fear is only a four letter word, you know, where me on the other hand, I'm more of a character fundamental performer, you know, so I would have had a great match. I feel, uh, would they have been as into it? Maybe not. I don't know. How many stars would it have gotten? Oh, definitely five. That's what I was waiting for. It's like just hitting the greatest hits button. I just hit it on the computer. Yep. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, Michael asks, people talk about how crucial this match was to Jeff Hardy's career. And while I don't disagree, my question is, in Matt's opinion, how critical was it for Undertaker to be in a ladder match with someone like Jeff Hardy, who has a wealth of experience in this? Did Jeff ever mention to Matt any insights he was able to provide to Undertaker regarding the ins and outs of a ladder match? No, I mean, you know, Undertaker was there as were they were putting the match together and I was kind of there shadowing them as well. And Michael was there. So Undertaker had a lot of ideas. He came into it and then Jeff would throw his ideas out. And I feel like Taker would use his ideas and incorporate them in a way that worked for him. So I, I thought Taker was very hands-on with the ladder match. And I thought he was telling a good story overall in the big scheme of things. And if Taker hadn't have had this ladder match, would it have made a big difference in Taker's career? No, not really. When it's all said and done, this match made the bigger difference in Jeff's career because it was such a, such a launching pad for him, you know, especially if he'd been in the right state of mind at that time. But, you know, once again, when Taker was given this, you know, opportunity to do this match that he'd never done before, you know, he ended up embracing it and he really wanted to make it as great as possible, you know, because once again, it added to his legacy. And Mike wants to know what was Jeff's reaction when he came backstage from Undertaker giving him the robe? Uh, Jeff was happy. He was very proud of the match as well. And I, I think he was probably just glad he'd got through it in one piece, you know, and, and, he, and he wasn't severely injured, especially he took those last couple of big bumps off the ladder at the very end. And I, I know he just wanted to go out there. He wanted to sell his ass off for Taker and he wanted to have a great match. And he, he, he wanted to get himself over as much as he could, you know, in a losing effort. And he really did. He, he optimized every, every bit of that opportunity. I've got one more question for you on this before we wrap things up here. And I know you like talking about your positivity and your Matt's moral sure. thing here that we're, we're trying out on this podcast. And I think you can tie it into this. You guys grow up North Carolina backwoods wrestling on trampolines, pretending you're Shawn Michaels and macho man, Randy Savage. Mm -hmm. You're dreaming of moments like this where you guys, you, you want to be a tag team, but this is your big single star moment, your big breakout moment. Right. This is your younger brother who you grew up watching want to be that guy. Mm -hmm. Seeing him reach that point on this stage against one of the most respected performers ever. Right. How meaningful was that moment for you? And what did you say to him after the match? Holy shit. Uh, I mean, I told him how proud I was of him. I mean, he, he really went out and he, he made magic. 
I mean, that, that was a magical moment, the way the people were invested in him, the way they reacted, that he had a chance, he had an opportunity to win, you know, the, the, the undisputed title at that time, which is incredible, which shows how, how much he, 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 people related to him and, and people invested in him and he did evoke emotion. They cared about him, you know, and if you can get wrestling fans to care about you as a wrestler, that that's, that that's the win. That's, that's what we're all trying to do. If you have a great match and people don't care, eh, not really a big deal to be successful in this industry. People have to care about you. And not only did Jeff go out there and, and get these people to care about him in a match against the undertaker and, and not only believe he had an opportunity, a, a chance to win this and, and win the big one, so to say. I mean, Jeff went out and, and got himself even more over by not winning the match and losing the match because it was just put together so well. And it had a great story to it, you know, that he will not die. He will not stay down. Nothing. He will not let anything keep him down in this match or in life. And that's kind of what we were portraying with Jeff. So just coming through, I was just so utterly proud of him because he did something so special. Uh, against a guy that we grew up watching, you know, Mark Calloway, Mean Mark, uh, The Undertaker. Uh, and I wasn't jealous. I was very happy for him. And and I, I would hope, you know, I would hope at that point he would make the most of it. As we know, that didn't end up happening. But it was a very special moment in his career. And it was so great to see him elevated and, and get to live out that moment in real time. And the underlying takeaway here is that this sets up for the advent of Matt Hardy V1. It does. Yeah. I, I was, as I'd said in that episode of the version one, you know, I was, I was telling Vince and I would go to him regularly every week, every other week. I was like, dude, whatever you need me to do. If you want me to go to another show, if you want me to turn Hill, if you want me to start, uh, stop using the name Hardy, I'll just do Matt or Matthew, whatever it may be. If you want to just drop to one name, I just want an opportunity because I feel like I am, I am ready to go and I'm ready to rock and roll and I'm ready to shine on my own. Well, if this were WWE in 2022, you would have lost the Hardy name a long time ago. You would have just been Matt. Yeah. Or you might or have Hardy. been Hardy, right? Yeah. <laughs> if you were lucky enough to even keep your last name. Right. You could have been something totally different. We are very, very lucky that our name happened to be Hardy. And they did a play on the Hardy Boys, the old detective mystery books. And uh, th those were our legitimate names. And we started half-assed getting over with our legitimate names that we got to keep our real names. So we're very, very lucky in that capacity. How can we have two Hardys, pal? The crowd won't know them apart. Uh, that's exactly, that was Vince's argument. You know, if we have this thing going on with Jeff now, he's really established out of this match with Undertaker. We can't put two Hardys on the show. The people are going to get confused. <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> oh man great episode matt really great stuff next week since we talked about the undertaker this week mm -hmm. why don't we talk about his brother of destruction oh there we go we'll talk about his sibling let's talk about his sibling their their, their relationship's a little different than yours just a little bit uh, yeah just just a tad a little a little more twisted but <laughs> nonetheless still extreme and you had a chance to work with kane quite a bit in your career and we're going to talk about that and talk about your match with him at vengeance 2004 which we are coming up on the 18 year anniversary yeah. of which is a very interesting storyline in and of itself too. Ooh, oh boy so it should be very 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 wwe extremely wwe so we will certainly get into that again i remind you guys check out extremehardy.com and find the archives, go watch back, go listen back to any of these episodes, leave that five-star review, send it to five. us. 
Cinco, five, Cinco, five. I got to get it through your head. I, I, I know. You guys thinking this at night before you go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, they're winding down from their day and they're like, ah, shit, I got to leave that five star yeah. review for the yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's what we want. Send it to us at Matt Hardy Pod, at Matt Hardy Brand, at John Alba. If you're not following the pod on social media, do that now. What are you waiting for? Indeed. And find yourself on boxagimmicks.com. I'm going to pick a free shirt winner. Next week on the Extreme Life of Matt Hardy, I'm going to personally buy you a T-shirt, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Magnificent. Anything else you'd like to add, my friend? Uh, no, this was a lot of fun. It was fun to go back and watch this match because it really, it really is an iconic match, especially in Jeff's career. And it's, uh, it's, it's amazing that it, it is such a talked-about match and, and really like a, a bookmark match for Jeff. But it's, uh, it, it's so crazy. It actually lost. A million viewers during the course of the match on television. That's what a what a weird duality in this in this match. I bet you most people didn't even know that until we just talked about it. So. I, they absolutely did. Yeah, just crazy. But thankfully, we let it play out for those Hardy Boys, and we saw that eventually they made something of themselves. So there you have it. There you have well, it. The years later, we're still a dead act. <laughs> Still a dead act. Those <laughs> no good carny. We're still a dead act that will not die. They will not die, nor will this podcast. The words have been spoken. We'll see you next time here on the extreme life of Matt Hardy. Thank you, everyone. My skin's dying because you're under it. I'm done lying to myself for this. For all the wondering, believing that it's making me weak. I'll fade away and classify. Are you feeling stuck making minimum payments on your credit card debt? SaveWithConrad.com can help, and you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Get rid of your credit card debt and lower your monthly payments right now at SaveWithConrad.com.